I'm Liz Beardsley, Senior Policy Counsel here at the U.S. Green Building Council, and I'm here in Washington, D.C. with Greg Katz. It's my great pleasure to be talking with Greg about his most recent research on smart surfaces in cities. Greg has been a pioneer in improving our built world with a long series of significant contributions, not the least of which is serving on our lead steering committee for many years. Greg is a longtime thought leader and investor in the transition to a low-carbon economy. He is managing director at Arena Investments, a clean energy impact investment firm, and president of Capital E, which works with cities, corporations, and financial institutions to design, scale, and implement clean energy and low-carbon strategies. And among his many accomplishments, Greg wrote several sentinel books on green building, including Greening Our Built World. Welcome, Greg. Thank you, Elizabeth. It's a pleasure to be here. We at USGBC are really excited about your most recent work on smart surfaces, where you looked at D.C., Philadelphia, and El Paso as some representative cities, and that we had the opportunity to announce at COP22 in Marrakesh, Morocco last fall. The findings are compelling. Cities and districts can use these available technologies and strategies that are referred to collectively as smart surfaces to improve health, reduce energy use, and create more livable cities. And these are things that cities can do right now. And most interesting is when you looked at the costs and benefits um, financially, that the benefits greatly outweigh the costs. So tell us a little more. What are some of the specific smart surface strategies and what were your overall findings? Thank you, Elizabeth. So smart surface strategy is a term to describe things that you put on the surface of the city to manage sunlight and to manage rain, these two great gifts that all cities have. They are not managed systematically today. Um, and the, the technologies are pretty well known, but let me run through them. It includes solar photovoltaics. It includes cool roofs, which are highly reflective of sunlight. It includes green roofs, which are grass planted on roofs. It includes porous pavements so instead of water running off down drains. It, it filters through the pavement and goes and recharges groundwater. Um, and it includes trees and then combinations of these technologies. And together they provide a way to manage rain and, and sunshine intelligently so that rather than causing excess heat in the city, they actually can be used to generate electricity or to grow uh, green uh, trees or grass or in, in, and to manage water so instead of having uh, flooding and, and water, uh, excess water causing contamination and, and causing billions of dollars in the case of DC of additional construction to manage wastewater treatment, you're putting that water back into the ground, you're using it to recharge uh, green areas and you're using it in a, in a kind of an obvious and intelligent way but doing it citywide turns out that doing so citywide creates very large financial benefits that we haven't understood well to date. That's great. And I love that it's a combination of trees, which is an, an old uh, technology, if I may say, and some newer applications like um, solar roofs. So how did the smart surface solutions vary among the three cities? The three cities we looked at were El Paso, very hot, dry climate, Washington, D.C., still in a swamp, and even more so today. Um, and then Philadelphia, which is a sort of a mid-Atlantic 
um, city. We looked at city level, we looked at ward level, and we looked at building level. And um, one of the interesting aspects of D.C., Philadelphia, and El Paso is summertime temperature is already, for some people, unbearable. With climate change, as temperature rises, there's more and more concern that some of the city, some of the time, becomes unlivable. So all these three cities share a concern about how do they manage excess summer heat uh, at a time of rising temperature. These technologies offer the opportunity to reduce that excess heat by one degrees, two degrees, even three degrees, and to take something which is damaging excess heat from excess sunshine and turn it into something useful, which is photovoltaics, which provides uh, shade as well as providing cooling. And then it can be on top of, for example, a green roof to shade the green roof so it grows better. The green roof help manages water. So that's an example of the sort of multiple benefits from integrating technologies. All three cities we, we looked at showed that there were benefits to adopting these technologies citywide and in combination with each other. Key differences between the three cities are that Philadelphia and Washington, D.C. have a big surge of summertime tourism. That tourism is at risk because of rising temperature. These sorts of technologies allow the city to prevent an erosion of revenue from summer tourism, and that's a real financial benefit to the city. In the case of D.C., it's about $3 billion net present value over 40 years. In the case of Philadelphia, it's about $5 billion. Although there are differences between the cities, the cost-benefit ratio for adopting these technologies generally is about 10 to 1. In other words, these cities can save hundreds of billions, excuse me, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars by adopting technologies that deliver services for the city, including lower peak temperature, greater comfort, improved air quality, increased employment, um, and lower uh, uh, capital costs for things like uh, water treatment. Let me just highlight one other example. Summertime Philadelphia, El Paso, and D.C. have a surge in non-reimbursed hospital visits by people who are not insured, go to the hospital because of excess heat, because of smog. Someone pays for that. The city pays for it. So these strategies allow low-income people or people who are vulnerable to be less ill, but it also means that the burden of paying for these excess medical costs get taken off the back of the city. That money can instead be used for productive things like enhancing school quality. These health benefits are quite important and really are quite staggering um, as I've looked at them in, in your report in, in detail. And some seem to be related to the reduced heat impacts and others reduced particulate matter pollution. Um, and I think it was really compelling to see how those play out in the low-income wards and districts in particular and really becomes an equity issue. So we want to thank you for doing this work. Um, I'm curious what scale deployment is needed to realize some of these benefits on the health side. The benefits start to accrue at a building level. So we looked at low-income uh, multi-unit buildings in four cities, actually, including Los Angeles. And we found that the cost-benefit ratio is very good for low-income residents to have a cool roof, to have a green roof, to have PV. It's beneficial because the temperature in the building 
um, is, is less extreme. They're using less energy, and the cost of energy for low income represents about five times as large a portion of their disposable income as it is for wealthy. When kids run around outside in a cooler environment, they're uh, experiencing less extreme heat and better air quality. Those benefits grow as you increase the scale. So as you go from building level to ward level to city level to regional level, those benefits continue to aggregate. So citywide adoption for Philadelphia creates about $8 billion in net present value. That's an underestimate because many of the benefits don't have data yet and don't have studies to support monetization. Um, but, But those larger benefits, and let me give you one example. As I go from a very absorbing roof to a reflective roof, I reduce the temperature in the building, but I also mean I, it also means I have much less radiant heat going out from the building and going out from parking lot surfaces because they're, they're much more reflective. That means the excess summer heat called urban heat island is less, so you can have a couple of degrees lower peak temperature through adopting these strategies. That directly results in lower medical costs, lower respiratory costs, and greater livability. One consideration with the bottom line, however, is that the monetized benefits accrue to the whole society, as you said, so some to residents, some to um, the city government, some to even insurance companies potentially, So, and the costs are also borne by different parties. That might complicate making the case and figuring out how do we move forward to get these strategies in action. Do you have some ideas on ways to overcome that? Has that come up yet in some of these cities? It's a great question. Cities um, have a lot of different pockets. So, for example, there's a part of a city responsible for wastewater treatment. That's very expensive. There's a city that pays for hospital non-reimbursed visits in the summer by people who are uninsured. That's expensive. There are people who provide Uh, other services that are related to this. And so the important thing, what's great about a city is cities generally believe in science as a basis for policy. Here in D.C., the federal government doesn't. But most cities don't have that that ideological luxury. They believe in science. They believe in rational decision-making. City-level decision-making works really well with these kind of technologies because the cities can think about what are all the different benefits, what are all the different avoided costs. Let's take all those different pockets and put them on the table together. Uh, Wastewater treatment, um, rising electricity costs, health costs, infrastructure costs, and all those things. Put them on the table and then look at the marginal cost for shifting to smart surface rather than dumb surface strategies. There is an upfront cost, but there's a large range of additional benefits. When you add those up, the ratio is about 10 to 1. And a city is in a position to be able to do that intelligently and responsibly. Cities feel they have responsibility for their citizens. They have responsibility for where the wastewater treatment goes, new water infrastructure, new electricity infrastructure, new health infrastructure. And so by looking at these smart surface strategies as a way to reduce costs and improve livability and increase revenue. Cities, smart cities can adopt strategies that create very large livability, health, and financial benefits. So on the practical side, how can cities act on the information and and implement the strategies? So there's zoning policies, modifying their own practices. Um, What are the easiest to start now? based on what you've seen without 
significant new sources of funding? And, and do, could other cities also benefit from these findings? Absolutely. What's great is that cities have tools at their disposal which don't cost them anything. So, for example, Chicago says if you build a much greener building, we will accelerate your permitting. That's a very valuable thing to motivate developers or someone who rehabs a building to do something that benefits the community. Or I will give you flexibility on floor area ratio or height or other things. A city can provide that through a planning and zoning process. It costs the city nothing, creates a value for developers, and has large values citywide. And so cities have at their disposal a set of tools, including requirements, preferences, accelerated permitting, um, tax code to allow them to reorient how um, surfaces are treated to move from dumb, unhealthy technologies to smart, healthy, cost-effective technologies. And they should be doing so citywide, not just on a pilot basis here and there. We have the data now to show that it is financially irrational to stick with things that are very expensive which is what we have today, unhealthy, which is what we have today, and to move to, to technologies and surface treatments that have been demonstrated widely and that work well and, and save a lot of money. Well, we're really excited about this work, and we'll be looking for ways to get this information out to our members, our community, um, cities that we work with that want to transition to um, to low-carbon world and to try to protect and preserve the climate. Um, I just want to thank you, Greg, for your time and all your passion and your leadership on these issues. We're really grateful. Um, for listeners, there's more information available. We have a web presentation and there are some forthcoming reports and we'll be uh, continuing to report on developments, hopefully around the country, as cities start to act on this information and implement these strategies. Thank you, Elizabeth.